You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode 127 for Monday the 12th of November 2018. My guest today is Sean Stevens, a fantasy author who writes as S.P. Stevens. Before turning to writing, Sean followed a passion for music at first, writing and performing house and techno in the 1990s. Then, in 2001, he founded an internet marketing company, finding a home for his writing in the form of technical SEO and copywriting services. Unable to resist more creative urges, in 2016, he decided to put fingers to keyboard, penning his debut fantasy novel, Binecrafter. In early 2018, work started on a prequel novella in the Binecrafter series, and Ranker's Charge was released in August 2018. When I chatted to Sean for the podcast, I began by asking him about his early career in house and techno music. A lot of time spent listening to um, drum sounds. Um, very important to get your, your snares sounding right, um, which is a, a drum, if anyone's not familiar. And even I'm cool enough to know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so um, that was um, sort of live PAs and that kind of thing, um, putting together uh, white label tracks, that kind of um, techno house scene back um, or about 15 years ago now. Now, you just have to remind us, because it's a little bit like self-publishing the music industry. W- were, were you on vinyl, CD? What, what, what were you doing your tunes on then? Um, um, small pressings of vinyl. Um, otherwise, it was um, stuff going on to CD um, I, I even go back as far as tapes, to be honest. Really? Oh, that, that's so reassuring for somebody of my age. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for tapes to make a comeback. I'm not sure when that's going to be, but I'm hopeful. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure that will. Anybody who's ever experienced their collection sort of going up in smoke around those little drive wheels will, will, you know, will never want cassettes back ever again. Yeah, I can't see them getting the, the vinyl um, comeback, really. Uh, funny is, you know, the funny thing is about cassettes is I've got a year's worth of my radio shows on cassette um, and can't play them on anything now. But, uh, well, I, you know, I know you could, you could digitise them, couldn't you? But uh, um, I, I got a load of stuff stored up in the loft of my radio career. So uh, you'll never see the light of day again, probably. Yeah, no tape machine. No, I mean, you can get them, can't you? You could digitise stuff, but I'm not sure the world's ready for that, to be honest with you. Did, did you sell it? Were you when when you did this? Was it kind of like a? Because I want to I want to compare this to your writing career. Really, um, were you selling it? You know, were you selling it on uh, mass? How were you selling it in those days? Um, just sending it out to individual record shops, really, one at a time. It was it was very um, underwhelming in terms of um, mass production. Um, it was more like we used to put um, put them together to play ourselves a lot. Um, and then we could send out a few um, to local record shops. So it does have many similarities, it sounds to me. You know, as an indie author, you write a book, you try and get the local bookshop to sell it. Uh, you also try and get somebody to distribute it and somebody to, to, to back you. I mean, is, am I right? Am I way off the beaten track with that? 
Um, similar, um, except that there was no real sort of um, commercial imperative with, with the music stuff. Um, it was more just a case of having to have it um, on hand to actually play. Um, yeah, so I would say there's, there's fewer similarities than you might think. Uh, how, how were you making the music then? I'm, I'm thinking, what, so 15 years ago, you would have had computers then, wouldn't you? You know, reasonable computers. Yep. Um, started out on the old Atari, if you remember those oh, things. Really? Oh, this is like a trip down memory lane, isn't it? It's great. <laughs> um, yeah, and then sort of uh, moved to PCs when they came along, um, which were, you know, far and away a whole different level of um, creativity. Um, now, of course, you can use your phone and pretty much get the same results. So things have moved on a lot. Um but it was all you needed, really, just an Atari, a keyboard, a drum machine, and lots of time spent manipulating snare drums. And did you have any aspirations for that to go anywhere, or was it just something you were happy to do? Um, I didn't really have aspirations. Um, for a long time, I sort of experimented with different um, underground music and... Um, I did try a few more commercial ventures, which didn't pan out. Um, tried putting together some like boy bands, that kind of random stuff. Um, that that just turned into quite a headache. Um, rather like um, forming a band, um, which I've also done. There's a lot of organisation, um, and, and it tends to sort of all come back down to you if, if you're the person running it. Well, you see, the reason the boy band didn't work is I wasn't available at the time. I'm, I'm sorry about that. I could have helped that to fly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, were, were you going to be in the boy band? This fascinates me. Were you, you going to be in the boy band? Were you, or were you the manager? Yeah, I was the Simon Cowell without the money. <laughs> and, and was it like, you know, you have to have six packs all round? Um, it didn't go... Um, <laughs> it wasn't a standard requirement, but we didn't throw anyone out if they had one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So when when did this kind of when did you abandon this, or have you have you abandoned it, or you know when did you decide that this wasn't going to be the way you were going to make your living? Um, oh, when when I had to earn some money, basically, um, and pay a mortgage, that kind of thing, um, and then I trans transitioned, kind of organically from music into um the internet and, and web design that kind of thing so, um, which, yeah yeah. So you're always obviously geeky then if you, if you were making sort of beats and sounds and using computers you were always geeky is that fair to say yeah and in fact i learned a lot of my um computer skills through the music um through the music software um and then i kind of trans transitioned that um into um, web design and sort of the early days of the internet so if you were involved in the early days of the internet, let, let me try and date you. Were you, did you come in at kind of like the front page time or were you a Dreamweaver guy? What were you using? Um, I came in when the Dreamweaver front page battle was <laughs> in, full, in full progress. <laughs> yes. um, Who will win? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think, I don't think front page won that one. It never stood a chance at it. <laughs> So you'd have been like Dreamweaver MX kind of days, or just like I was slightly before that. I can't remember what came before that. Yeah, um, MX, I guess. Was it six um, before that? Was it Dreamweaver six? I can't remember. It's like trying to figure out game versions, isn't it? You know, like 
Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's so long ago. I may even have gone back to version four. Yeah, I uh, might have done actually. Yeah, yeah, I might. So we're we're about the same time then with geeky stuff. Um, so you so you learned how to code, sort of Dreamweaver, HTMLing it. Um, anything more ambitious than that? Did you get into PHP and things like that? Um, yeah, I've done a bit of PHP, Java, that kind of thing. Um, I tend to do a lot of um, kind of generic work, so um, I need to know a little bit of everything in a way. Um, if there's like a really speciality thing, I'll farm it out to someone. Um, but otherwise, it helps to be able to hack a bit of code here and there. I can remember in, I'm sure it was 2008, um, I can remember looking at content management systems like WordPress, Mambo, Joomla, uh, Moodle, which is still used by education institutions. And I can remember them, you know, like we were saying about front page and Dreamweaver, it was like a bit of a fight out. It wasn't clear for a little while who was going to do what. And then I can remember that with the CMS systems. And then I remember I was doing some lecturing at the time and remember thinking, do you know what, WordPress has got this now. WordPress has won the day. Um, did, did you move into WordPress fairly? I've been in it 10 years, which amazes me now. But did you kind of pick it up early or were you coding for a while? Um I I kind of got a bit stuck in Joomla um a bit too long um although I was I was using WordPress as well but I was kind of um championing Joomla as as a platform um akin to the Betamax and um yeah and I I soon saw the that WordPress was just going to be far and, and wide a better solution the plugins and just the general support and the framework I think suited it better to to evolve um, and I think it's like, I don't know, 50, 50% maybe of the internet's on WordPress now. I don't know. It's a lot, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge. I think it's less than 50, but it's it's way up there, isn't it? It's, and it's, you know, millions and millions of, of websites. So um, anybody who's got a WordPress site at the moment, if they haven't heard of it now, they will know about this Gutenberg change that's coming along. I'm assuming you have a view on this. I um Yeah, I've, <laughs> I've, I've installed it and had a go with it. Um, I, I, I use quite a lot of um, drag-and-drop plugins for WordPress. So, um, I mean, a lot of people will be familiar with Divi, the theme, yeah. um, which has a lot of drag-and-drop stuff. Um, there's also um, other solutions for that, like Elementor. I don't know if you heard of that. I, I have. Your, your joy. It's like listening to myself coming back in an echo chamber. Yeah, this is what I say. Divi, Thrive, Elementor are the, probably the best-known ones, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so what it seems they've done is kind of um, built elements of, of that into the new design. Um, but essentially, it's quite annoying because now everything's in a different place. Um, there's lots of functions on there that I don't need because all the page builders I'm using have them built in. So <laughs> it's like anything, isn't it? Change is always difficult. Um but I expect we'll get there in the end and it will probably win me over. Well, I, I'm doing some corporate teaching on it, actually. So I, I'm teaching people, um, number one, how to avoid it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, just block the thing and pretend it's not happening. I'm showing them how to clone sites so that they can play with them and test them beforehand. Uh, and then I'm also showing them if they do want to install it, what to do. But, um, I mean, it's a big change. If you're listening to this, and you know, you haven't, it's coming actually. When is this interview going out? It's coming about the week after this interview runs. So if you're not aware of it yet, if I were you, just do a search WordPress 
Gutenberg. You need to know this because they're going to force it on you. In, and I think it's 19th of November, I think it is. I've got it on my calendar somewhere. It's imminent. Yeah, it's the 19th of November. This is coming in, week after this interview goes out. So it is going to create big changes. I mean, I almost think I've been recommending people use WordPress for years. And to me, there's not been any competition in it as far as websites are concerned. I've said the same to authors as well. But actually, um, I'm going to keep a powder dry on that one for a little while because I don't think I can wholeheartedly recommend you go into WordPress at the moment. You know, I think this might be its defining moment. I, 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 do you agree? Um, maybe, but then what's the alternative? I can't see any particular alternative, you know, that's so wide ranging that you could use at the moment. I know you mentioned, you mentioned the others, but is Joomla still going? I don't, I haven't used it for years. No, it was was good, wasn't it? It was very good, but it, um, it it just didn't win, but it was good. Nothing wrong with it, but no, I know what you mean. We're we're sort of stuck with WordPress. My theory is that some clever thing is going to just, and actually I've pretty well already got this. I've got a Gutenberg blocker. You know, it, it means you can't accidentally install it. Um, and it, and it means you can just keep using it as you did with the classic editor in there. And I just think, you know, some clever thing will just, um, code around it and, and there'll be a, a forks, you know, there'll be people who never knew any better and just use Gutenberg. And there'll be people like us who've used it for years and just say, I'm not changing because it's horrible. Um, that's my, that's my theory. I don't know. Would you, which one would you be in? Would you use Gutenberg or would you rather resist forever? I think I'm going to have to embrace it and use it because um eventually these things just force you to use them so it's probably better in my opinion to just jump on there um, as as early as you can oh you see very progressive i'm very resistant to this one so uh, well we'll see because it's gonna say it's coming out the week after this interview if you haven't looked up gutenberg yet you need to because um it's going to change your your site yeah there's, there's some good videos on youtube um people going through it so have a look at those so that's that's websites. You moved into websites. So that, websites are your day job, is that right? Yep. And and who do you build them for? You doing corporates, authors? Do you specialise in any way? Um, generally, just SMEs, um, small medium businesses, um, uh, individuals. Um, I've got a lot of ongoing clients that I've had for several years, so um, the work's always there, which is good for me. And do you work from home? Are, are you sort of a self-employed entrepreneur now? Um, yes, I, I will work from w- wherever my laptop is, um, <laughs> basically. And that's another thing I was discussing with somebody today. Um, when, when you and me were using uh, Dreamweaver to make sites, you had a lot of uh, software on your computer. And now, of course, a lot of it's in the cloud. You know, it's just changed remarkably in such a short time. You can literally walk around with a quite lightweight laptop and, and run a web business now. Yeah, even your phone. Oh, you do it on your phone as well, do you? Blimey, that is, that is cool. <laughs> if, it's, if it's late at night and I've forgotten to um, to do something urgent, like I'm sending out the wrong email to people, <laughs> there's kind of emergency tweaks. That is something that I saw that I liked about Gutenberg, actually, that you could go to the admin interface and it sort of displays properly on your phone. You can access it through your mobile phone. Um, I, I'm sure I've seen that somewhere. And I thought, oh, that 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 I like that you can do changes on the hoof on your on your um, mobile phone. I don't. You couldn't really do them at the moment. I don't think. Not realistically. You could do them on a tablet, but not really on a phone. Yeah, that's definitely needed. I think because you, you just access um, things from everywhere these days, don't you? 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we always have a phone in our pocket, don't we? We don't necessarily have a laptop with us. So uh, that was one thing I did see that I thought, oh, that is a change for the better. I, li- I like that. I think that reflects how people work. Okay, so we, we, we've talked about the music, and I am interested in the music because I think there's a lot of parallels, to, to you know, because it's creative parallels to being an author in there. But we'll we'll get up, we'll get back to that in a moment. You, you've you've got the day job now, so you've got <laughs> the means of keeping the roof over your head. I'm interested to know where writing came from. Well, um, I've always been interested in writing, he says, giving the generic author response. Uh, (laughs) um, I was good at English at school. Um, Essentially, I've always wanted to write something, but I never never felt able to. Um, For a long time, I was waiting for an idea to come along. And then about two and a half years ago, um, I sat down and said, right, I'm going to write a book. Um, and I just started writing, really. Um, and, th- and then I realized um, my mistake, which was, don't wait for an idea. <laughs> um, just write, and then um, the ideas will, will come on the page, hopefully. And Well, it has for me. So that was a big eye-opener, really. When you sat down to write... Did you have any kind of a plan about length, structure, and anything like that? Anything formal? Or did you just literally leap into it and see where it took you? The only um, target I had was genre. I knew I wanted to write fantasy. Um, and I, it was a bit premature, <laughs> but I'd, I'd read a few things about, oh, if you're going to write, you know, write in series. So I thought, right, okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to write a fantasy series. Um, And my favourite genre um, being epic fantasy, um, I've plumped for that, which in hindsight was a bit of a a tall order, (laughs) which I'm still struggling through. But these things are huge, aren't they? These are these massive books. Yeah, um, it's the world building. It just just gets so large and multiplies. And, um, you know, when you're creating magic systems and, physics and universes and worlds and planets and um <laughs> solar systems or what, whatever it is it, it, um it just snowballs into just crazy stuff really and, w- and when you started that first writing did, did you kind of did you understand that or, or is it something that just came as you started to write you realized you were going to have to do it um no i had no idea it was going to expand in such a way I just um, thought I would write a nice little story about this fantasy guy sitting down doing his stuff, whatever it was. Um, And then he went out the door (laughs) outside of his office and that's when the trouble started. (laughs) (laughs) So, so what happened to that? Did that one make it? That is, that is the story I'm still literally working on to this day. Um, So yeah, um, unlike a lot of, a lot of people say you 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 write a few books and you bin them <laughs> when you're starting out. Um, I've basically decided to write the same book um, several times <laughs> until it's right. So that's my um, that's my uh, method for that in its madness. And is it completed in draft one form yet? Um, yeah, I, it completed draft one about uh, nine months ago. Um, went out to beta readers and I'm pretty much just finished the second, the second draft, which is basically a, a complete rewrite 
And how long is it? It's looking to be about 180, I would think. (laughs) I mean, congratulations on that. that. That is, for a first book... That's an astonishing number of words. And, you know, even frankly, I, I've written 15 now, and I think the longest I've written to is 90. I can't even contemplate 180,000 words. I mean, did you bit off too much, really, didn't you, for a first one? Or, or, or would you go back and do that again, same thing again? Yeah, I think I totally um, did bite off too much. Um, in hindsight, it would have been better to um, maybe choose a slightly different um, subgenre in fantasy that you could write a bit um, shorter stories, um, maybe more YA or something. Um, but yeah, once I started writing, I had to keep going. <laughs> no, it's massive. I'm really astonished at how you can keep a story going at 180,000 words, you know, because your, I mean, your midpoint is the end of my book. You know, it's, it's, it's massive. I, how do you keep it going? Um, I th- well, that's that is difficult. You know, a lot of the beta feedback was, "Oh, this is dragging along. Why? Why is this scene um, in here when that's got nothing to do with you know the overall plot, that kind of thing?" Which were things that I had, I've I've been fixing in in the revision. Um, but generally, you know, um, epic fantasy tends to have a lot of description, and like I was saying the world building is so big that you need to describe all that. It's not like um, a modern setting where you can just say they went into um, a supermarket and every, everybody knows what that is. You actually have to explain about the, um, the the weird stuff. So that takes a lot of words. You're, you're the second author I've spoken to now. I'm sure that um, Claire Sager and yourself have written to 180,000 words. Uh, both both fantasy. I know your audience are used to that that length of book. Have you ever thought of splitting it, say, into three? I said this to Claire. Have you ever that because that's three three novels. People would accept those as novels. Have you have you ever considered that? Yes, and I sort of did a bit of research, um, asking people what what they thought, um, and the the general feedback was that people would feel cheated and slam it in in the reviews. Um, and also there's the issue of, you know, it's a complete story. So it's difficult to actually break into, um, sec- into say, three or two or three chunks um, without it being a serial. Um, but that, that I didn't really want to do a sort of serial route with that. Well, I can tell you, I'm sticking to sci-fi and thrillers. I ain't, I ain't writing 180,000 words. If, the, if That's the expectation, blimey, that's... A- that's quite a crushing weight of expectation from readers. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's not looking at some of the word the word counts. It's not that long. Oh, <laughs> blimey! <laughs> you know, I mean, two hundred fifty thousand isn't uncommon in fantasy. You mean, look, if you look at like Brandon Sanderson, for instance, I mean, half a million words. I think that kind of those are his kind of book lengths. Um, yeah, so. It's expected in in fantasy, really, that you're going to write write that long. Now, I know you're still working on that. That's a work in progress. But you have released and published and are selling Ranker's Charge. So, what's the story of what's the the story behind this story? Right. Well, this it all relates back to Minecrafter, which is my novel that I'm working on. Um, 
and goes back to well nine months ago when I gave it to beta readers suddenly I had um, effectively three months because <laughs> unbeknownst to me beta readers can take quite a long time to read um, <laughs> especially when it's that long <laughs> yeah um, and so there was a big gap um, I knew I needed a reader magnet and so I thought what I do is write a side story um, it's actually a prequel um, which will then be the reader magnet. So I worked out the minimum possible number of words I could <laughs> I could do it in and still have it, you know, classify it as a book and be able to print it so that the spine was wide enough to put a name on. <laughs> and which I worked out was about um, twenty six thousand words. Um, and yeah, I plotted it around around that word count and. I, un, unlike me, I I managed to write it in a month and um, then get it out to beaters and edit it and stuff like that. And that must have felt like bliss after writing one hundred eighty thousand words. Yeah, I mean it was really freeing um, because the trouble with the with the long book is this: it's so such a spaghetti of webs and plot lines and that kind of thing. It was nice to have um, a really simple story, um, you know, a bit like. Um, you know, just a, a small act which takes place in a small space with, you know, two or three characters. It's much easier to get my head around um, and develop, you know, character traits, that kind of thing. Um, and to to be able to finish it, which was um, one of my main targets, um, finish it, um, publish it, obviously, and then use it to um, set up my author brand, really, I guess. Now, I've got to tell you, I, I love the artwork on that book. And ha, ha, What's the story of that? Because it looks, it doesn't look like stock art to me. It looks like it's drawn. Was, was it commissioned or anything like that? Yeah, the illustration was commissioned um, on Fiverr. Wow, really? I, I found a good artist um, in Poland. Um, it cost a bit more than a Fiverr, so I don't know why they call it Fiverr, but um, he worked on that over a space of about a month sent back several different versions um and yeah just went with that really i, I do like it i mean that it, it looks uh painted but is it done it must be done digitally is it or is it has it been can't be painted surely yeah i think he he used an ipad actually all oh, right well blimey in technology amazing but i, I mean are you i assume you're happy with it because it looks great um i think so i'm i'm still contemplating changing it um you know and contemplating branding for the for the entire series as well um but at the moment it's it's good enough to to be out there getting me um sign ups that kind of thing the odd sale here and there now as you would expect you've got a really nice website so i guess it wouldn't be very good for business if you didn't would it really but it's a lovely website it's it's beautifully done uh you've done all that yourself i take it yep I love the the sort of trees, the forest that you've got in the background on your website. It says spstevens.com, by the way, if you're listening to this and want to have a look at it while we're chatting. Um, how, how have you done that? You've got some beautiful kind of text. Uh, the ranker's charge text is lovely. Um, how, how, how have you done that? Is it stock, stock photography? It just looks really classy to me. Uh, yeah, the um, backgrounds are stock images. Um, I think they're from free image sites most likely um i use 
a site called Pixabay, I mm-hmm. think it's called, yeah. um, which is quite handy. So most of them are from there or some other um, free stock image sites. Um, I try to sort of use images, those kind of things, differently so they don't, you know, look like where they might appear otherwise because obviously they're not um, original images. Um, and then the rest of, the, of that site is built in Divi, um, which is a fun experience, if sometimes a little bit frustrating. <laughs> I seem to spend a lot of time tweaking um, text sizes, and then instead of going up when they're supposed to, they go down when I slide the slider, and then there's some um, some module needs adjusting somewhere. <laughs> it can be a little bit um, frustrating, but um, you can get some good uh, effects with it, with Divi. It's it's a very nice-looking uh, site, so uh, congratulations on that. Um, and how are you using this this first book then? You, you said it was, um, you know, it's a lead lead generation tool, uh, presumably to build to the release of the of the big book. Um, h- how are you using that to, to sort of generate uh, readers and fans in the meantime? Well, basically, um, I'm using it to build my list. So if you sign up to my list, you can get that book for free. Um, that will come to people um, via book funnel. Um, it's also if available for sale too if people prefer to buy it. Um, some people do apparently, which is nice. Um, I think you know maybe some people prefer to pay two ninety nine than to give you their email address. <laughs> yes, it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's working out quite well. Um, also, it's on um, prolific, as we have to call it now. Oh, oh yes. Um, In, Insta, Insta yeah, prolific. Insta freebie prolific. What's it called? Prolific? Prolific works. Works. That's the one. Thank you. Yes. I wish they wouldn't rebrand things like that. But uh, yeah, no. prolific works. Um, yeah. So it's also on there. Um, loads of giveaways, that kind of thing. I've been doing newsletter swaps, um, just anything to get it out there, really. Um, but yeah, ma- mainly to get people to get people's emails, because at this point for me, um, Emails are more valuable than the small amount of, of money I would make from selling it, to be honest. Um, especially if I put it in for 99p. If I, if I wanted to get rid of it, I probably would need to do it for that. Um, then if you're making 30p a sale, um, an email address is more valuable to me than 30p. Yes, agreed. Uh, and I, I must ask you this question because you're sort of geeky and you know about these things. What are you using to build your email list? Are you a MailerLite, MailChimp guy, or are you using something else? Um, MailChimp at the moment. And how? Uh, how why? Why MailChimp? Why not MailerLite? I'm just because this is a bit of a. It's a bit like a Wix versus WordPress kind of argument. <laughs> why, 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 why have you gone with MailChimp? Um, I just it's just something I've used in the past. Um, I did. I was going to um, use Send in Blue. I don't know if you've heard of that. Of that one? Never heard of that one. No. What's, what does that do? Um, well, it's the same same thing as MailerLite or Mailchimp, but it used to be free um, for unlimited emails. Although they've changed that recently, so I, I tried with that a bit and then um, just went back onto Mailchimp because that's what I've used in the past mostly. 
and they're using the automation system that they've got now because that um that t- t- it's funny how these things go isn't it because what pushed me to MailerLite was the fact that they had the automations and MailChimp didn't and uh, you had to pay for them in MailChimp and then MailChimp realized that they were going to get blown out of the water if they didn't make them free so they made them free now do, do you make use of that particular feature something that I need to do um a bit more I've it sends an automated um welcome email out um but I've got no kind of um, serious setup. Um, something that I need to do, um, but at the moment I'm busy writing. Yes, right, <laughs> there's, yeah. there's only so many tasks. I mean, one of the things I've realised is that it's just a never-ending list of, <laughs> of tasks to do. Really. Yeah, yeah. You never get it down to zero ever. I don't think. Um, I, I know the feeling with that. Um, I need to ask you, I just want to wind back a little bit. I made a note here that uh, you said you've got beta readers. I just wanted to know um, where you found your beta readers. You know, bearing in mind, I know you've you've published a a short novel, but where where did you get those beta readers for from? Uh, My main source um, is a website called Scribophile. Um, I don't know know if you've heard of that. I haven't, no. Okay, it's an amazing site i can't recommend it highly enough um essentially it's a critique site um and so you sign up um people put their their writing up for critique um it's got a very nice editing system where you can edit people's work um you know putting all highlighting stuff adding comments that kind of thing um and the way it works is that when you when you critique somebody else's um piece you know based on um, the number of words that you you write in your critique it adds what's called karma into your account, which then um, gives you points to allow you to post your own work on there. Oh wow! If that makes sense. Yeah. So um, yeah, so I, I've been on there for quite a while. Um, there's some of the forums are really good on there. Um, they regularly do um, beta swaps. Um, there's a guy on there who's really good at it, organising stuff, um, and yeah, you can get put into like different groups depending on your genre. Um, and I've met you know, several really good um, writers and critiquers on there who are actually um, good friends now. Um, so I've built up a little kind of group of people that I trust their opinion. We look at each other's work when we've got new bits to. Um, that need editing or or critiquing or, or that kind of thing. Um, yeah, so the, the the main beta stuff I've done was, um, you know, there's like a group of people, three or four people that get together, um, and then over a space of time, you work through each other's um, writing. But it's really good because of, like I say, the interface allows really good editing and critiquing. So it's not. It's not just like where you might get a little bit of feedback. It's like you know this this word here is, is wrong, or um, it, it can be as granular as you like, really. Um, but it's just yeah, it's really good. I'd say check it out, especially if you're one of these people that haven't um, had the guts to show your writing to anyone yet, which I obviously was for, for quite a long time. Um, they're, they're very gentle with you, um, so yeah. Give that a go. I am astonished that I have been listening to podcasts for three to four years now. I've never heard this site mentioned. I mean, it sounds so valuable. I'm just interested to know. It's not a traditional writer site, is it? I'm just amazed that I've never heard of it. 
Um, I'm not sure how long it's been running. It, it's got a lot of users. Um, it's it's scribble fast. That's s c r i b o p h i l e dot com. If anyone wants to to look at it, I'll put it on the show notes for this week. And I'm I'm, I'm sort of looking at it as as you're chatting to me. It's uh, it looks uh, it looks fabulous. What a great resource! You know, people need to know about that. That's really good. Did you? How much um, karma do you need for a hundred eighty thousand word book? Did you do you like have to generate that in karma? <laughs> I mean, you've been there for years. Yeah, you would know. Um, if you sign up for the the membership, then basically you can um, post unlimited amounts of of stuff into like what's called the beta area. Um, and then if you're with a swap with some other beta readers, like you can share it that way without actually having to post it through the main interface. Blimey, but that's only nine dollars a month, or five forty two if you do it yearly. So what, sixty five dollars a year? That I mean, you compare that, say, to getting a an editor to read your work. You know, that's a fantastic deal. Yeah, that's why I haven't cancelled my membership, <laughs> even though I've put nothing on there for ages. Um, it's yeah, just a very, very good resource. And I mean, I put Ranker's Charge through there. Um, that was the editing, basically, for that novella. Um, I got such good feedback from, um, you know, certainly a couple of people that went, you know, went through it line by line. Um, so, yeah, that really helped. Right. Well, this is going on the resources pages, everybody, because you've got to look at this. I, I can't believe I've been doing this this long. And then something can come completely left to field that I've never heard of like this. Like, you know, you think you sort of, I must know it all by now. You know, all the links and the, the sites and everything. But um, the other thing is just to mention that when you sign up, you can get 25% off Grammarly, 20% off Scrivener and 20% off Book Baby Editing Services. So again, um, that's packed with uh, value and it's cheap as chips. It's amazing that. Well, thank you for that tip off. This this is why I do this podcast, you see. <laughs> you can, you get to know about all the good stuff that you might have missed. Yeah, that's why I listen as well, Paul. <laughs> well, that is a great tip. Thank you very much. Uh, that one's getting shared. So thank you very much for that. Right, I'm pleased to ask that question now. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you was, you're using BookFunnel, and I keep going to call it InstaFree, but I've got to retrain myself to call it Prolific Works. Um, which do you get on best with, or do you have no preference? Um, well, I think Prolific Works is obviously much better um for putting your your stuff out there of its own accord if you know what i mean whereas i get the feeling with book funnel you have to do a lot more work to actually get to get the downloads um i'm quite new to to um prolific works so i'm i'm just still seeing how that's going but i'm getting about oh i don't know um 10 signups a day or something at the moment from it which is okay i think you're using the giveaways on BookFunnel, are you? Have you found those? Um, I'm not using the giveaways on BookFunnel at the moment, no. Oh, right, because the reason I ask you is I've, I've, I've found BookFunnel better on the giveaways. I've had about two to three times as many sign-ups on BookFunnel, um, and they, they do giveaways as well. They do um, – I don't know whether they call them giveaways. They call them something else. Um, but I, I found them very good. That's that's why I mentioned it. So it uh, might, might be worth a little try. Um the I found the quality of sign up sort of a bit higher too actually from from book funnel so i'm I'm being quite enthusiastic about it at the moment yeah the quality of sign ups is something that i'm still i'm waiting to find out <laughs> what what it's like um you know i I get a feeling there's a kind of ecosystem of free book vultures out there in the world that will never ever buy anything <laughs> but 
but they'll just download free books. I don't know if that's true. Well, I hate giving away freebies. I, I can't wait for the day when I don't have to give away freebies, um, you know, to sort of find find an audience. I think it is the curse. I mean, you know, you've done exactly the right thing. What what else can you do if you're trying to launch a 180,000-word book as your first book? You've done exactly the right thing. You've followed best practice, haven't you, with that? And and the only way you can seed that for when the, the big book's ready is to have a list. And, and the only way you're going to get a list is, well, you can't buy them. That's illegal now, particularly under GDPR. It always was, really. Um, you, you've got to do what you're doing, haven't you? I don't, you know, for a new unknown author, I, I don't know any other tricks unless you do. No, I mean, unless you just want to chuck advertising money down the drain, which <laughs> is always one uh, one avenue, but I haven't got that kind of money to spend on advertising, so I wouldn't do that. Do, do you do any um, of that in the day job? Do you do that for sort of other people? Yeah, um, I do Facebook advertising and Google AdWords. Um, Google AdWords is, is an interesting topic, I think, in, as far as writing goes, because... I hear no one ever talk about it, which I find quite strange in a way, seeing as it's probably probably the biggest advertising online platform there is. Um, and I don't actually think there's a lot of competition um, for books on there, so there might be some cheap clicks for people if they can work out how to use it. Sure, you, you've, you've just made me think about that, because, you know, the thing... I've had some experience with this, and I tell you what I really love. I love um, Google retargeting. Have you done retargeting through Google? Yeah. Very cheap. Very very good for visibility. And when people click on a retargeted ad in Google, they're pre-sold. And so I've had a lot of good experiences with um, generally with training products rather than books. But do you think do you think you could make it pay with a box set, for instance? Um. So you're just selling one product, you mean? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, no read on. If, yeah, if you're selling a book, it's probably, what, £2.99, £3.99, probably. Yours wouldn't be, I know, but the average book would be that. So a box set you could probably sell for £9.99. Do you think you could make that pay on um, Google AdWords? Yes, I, I think you could, because you, you have enough um, enough profit on, on that kind of price to actually um, offset the number of clicks it would take. Um, I think you you will end up needing more clicks um, to get conversions because people aren't, unlike AMS, Amazon ads, they're not in the frame of mind of looking for books. So that's, a, that's or, or they can be if you're good at, at targeting search terms, but, you know, nevertheless, they're not on the Amazon platform. Um, they might not even have an Amazon account for, you know, so um, there's a little sort of step up there. Um, but the thing I like about AdWords is that, you can get very granular with the keyword targeting. Um, and like you say, you can get very cheap clicks on the display network. You know, if you want to just chuck a load of people at, at your site, you know, one or two per click isn't unheard of. Well, I'll tell you what I was experimenting with. Uh, and you, you'll get this. And apologies if this is a little bit geeky for people. But before Insta Freebie and Book Funnel came, I um, you used to have to host your own giveaways. So the people who were doing those giveaways were were people who could make websites and I could make websites and what I what I did and I never really pursued it enough uh, that you would get you know maybe seven eight thousand clicks over the course of a giveaway and I would um, retarget them I'd put all the codes on for Facebook and, and Google and so I have actually got you know retargeted lists and what I found is that you know so if you 
you get all that free traffic from a giveaway, retarget it, and then you're you're retargeting your ads to book buyers, to readers. You know you know it's a qualified retargeting list. You're rather than just targeting people by keywords. That should that I'm just trying to I'm thinking this through aloud really. That ought to work in principle then. That ought to be quite a good little go, I think. Yeah, I think that'd be a really good idea. Um because yeah, the, like you say, the the clicks on retargeting are tiny. Um, the cost per click. So, um, and you know, if there is no retargeting, you don't get a click, so you don't lo- you're not losing out on anything. But you do get um, visibility, don't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the number of impressions I've I've got on on AdWords are ridiculous. Like you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands for a few pounds. Um, obviously that's because it's paying for clicks. So, um, it's, it's not the same as people sort of, you know, interacting with your product, but, um, it's still quite impressive numbers. You're making me think here, you know, you are, you might, cause I, you know, I, I kind of know about this stuff, but you know, like you said earlier, there's so much to do. You, some stuff you just have to park sometimes that so you can't do everything, unfortunately. But, um, and with keywords, you see, you could target authors and genres, couldn't you, if, with your keywords? Yeah. Um, so I've got a big list of, of authors on my keywords, as well as generic terms like um, fantasy books, that kind of thing. All the authors are um, fantasy authors. So, you know, the people that click through and also they're looking at the the image of the ad and that kind of thing. Um, so they should be, you know, fertile ground I, you would think, um, but you still need to send a lot of, um, well, I do, a lot of clicks through to actually get um, interactions. But that, I guess that's just the way of advertising in general. Well, now, the other thing I'm thinking about this, now, if you're on Google Play, I seem to remember you could send people direct to Google Play. So I list my books on Google Play. So you would think that the Google ecosystem, see, I always price my books much higher on Google Play because they they always price them down. You've got no control over what they price them at. So generally, I you know if I if I want to sell it at two ninety nine, I price it at six ninety nine, and they discount it. And it's usually then I usually get the price I want. But I don't price it at two ninety nine because they'll they'll take it right down. I'll make no money on it. So it's a bit crazy Google Play. But they um, you you probably know more than about this than me. But you can target I think directly, can't you, in Google Play? If I remember rightly. Um. Yeah, there is some kind of of ecosystem there relating to it i haven't really got into it as as much as i should yeah you're, you're making me you're really making me think here because you say it's not it's not competitive either is it and because i got sort of three box sets so i got three box sets i can sell at 10 10 quid or actually i've got seven packs that would sell well on google you know seven big box sets omnibus editions um now what the, the other thing i'm going to ask you is um just because you i it's a long time since i've messed around with google ads um do you have you couldn't send them to Amazon, could you? Could you send them directly to an Amazon page? Uh, yes, you can. I did. I did run a little campaign recently testing that. Um, wait, but did, you, did you do it? But did you do it like through a books? What's it called? The book um, draft of digital geo links and things. Did you do it that way? Um, the campaign I was running, I just because tar- you can target by region, obviously. So I just targeted um, the US and sent all the clicks direct to the Amazon.com page. Um, obviously you could do the same with UK or Australia or whatever, but you might need to be, it might, it might be a little bit complicated to set up. Um, otherwise you, you could do the books to read 
link, universal link, I guess. And that wouldn't be against uh, any kind of guidelines because they're, they're a bit funny about what you put as the display link. It has to match the, the links have to match, I think, don't they? The display link and the actual link that you enter. Uh, there are some rules about the links that you put in, I think. Yeah, um, but no, Google certainly haven't got a, a problem with you sending people to Amazon. Um, and assuming that, you know, that's what happens with Facebook ads, I assume, that people go through to Amazon. So from Amazon's point of view, I don't think there's an issue either. I was um, banned once on Google. I've been, <laughs> I've been banned on Facebook at the moment. <laughs> and I've been banned on Google. I got into trouble with Google. We actually, it was the first time I ever tried retargeting. And we spent, it was about, I can't remember what the numbers were now, but it was, it was about £19.50. And we made £2,000 in sales. It was just me trying, uh, trying retargeting. I'd seen it and I thought, I've got to give this a go. And we sold yeah. four, four £499 courses off it um, through, through retargeting. But the mistake I'd made is because I, I remembered it at the last minute. Instead of doing a sales page, I took a screenshot of a sales page. So from Google's point of view, I was just sending people to an image rather than a page of text. Yeah. To, to the human reader, it looked like it was a page of text, but but Google banned me for that. Um, I got into trouble, unfortunately. They pulled the ad, which was making a lot of money. But I that was my first little trial with retargeting, and I loved it from that moment on. I think it's so powerful, retargeting. Mm. Well, I guess it's, you know, it's related as well to the Facebook pixel and um, and those kind of things too. Although again, that's not something that I have um, played with yet. Although I am planning to. Well, listen to Paul's podcast diary because you, uh, you've really got my uh, my kind of brain matter going. I'm thinking, right, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to stick a hundred quid budget on Google AdWords and, and you know burn it off and, and see whether I can make some money from that because. You're talking a lot of sense here, and what what I really like, of course, is that no one's touching it, and no one knows what to do with it. Yeah, I mean, the writing community. You know, I put I often go on forums, like I go on the Twenty Books forum, and I'll say, "Anyone got any tips for Google AdWords?" And it's like, you know, silence. <laughs> Nothing happens. Like no one either. They don't understand what it is, or um, they don't think it's relevant. I don't know what it is, but there seems to be no competition for books on there. Mm, it's off everybody's radar, which means it's right for the picking. Right, I'm sitting under a quid on. I'm going to have a little play with that. So, uh, and then we'll see, we'll burn that off and then see see whether we can make any money from it. You'll probably hear it. You listen, do you listen to the diaries? You probably hear it on there. Yeah, <laughs> good. I can't wait to hear. You'll hear, hear what me happens. weeping. <laughs> Another failed experiment from the tea labs. <laughs> More money wasted. More money. Sorry, children. No food this week. It'll be another one of those. But uh, no, I'm going to give that a try because um, you're that just makes perfect sense what you've said there um and i do and i know how to do it you know that that's the other thing it's a sort of little skill that i've i'm not brilliant at it you you know you'll have a lot more experience than me but i do know how to do it um and i've done it with courses i've always i've always kind of done it with high ticket high i say high ticket but higher ticket stuff because i've always worried about the margins that you've got you know on a single book you haven't got a lot of margin in a single book so you know if you're paying for a lot of clicks um you need to. Uh, you've only, you've only got what if you're selling a book at two ninety nine, how much you've you've got about one something, haven't you? Profit in that. Yeah, so you've got to be your conversion process is going to be quite good, isn't it? Um, you know, to make money off that. But I, I think I might go for for box sets. I might try box sets where I've got margin. So, yeah, it's definitely worth a go. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Listen to that. You'll either hear tears or cheers. 
uh, when I give that a try. Okay, well, thank you for that. That was really, really interesting. Um, NaNoWriMo, I need to talk to you about that because when, when this interview runs, you're running sort of in, in, in November and we're well underway with NaNoWriMo. I know you've got some plans for that this year. Yep, so I'm going to be writing the sequel to Ranker's Charge, um, which is the sequel to the prequel. But it's not the book, so I'm not quite sure what that <laughs> that makes it. Only in the world of fantasy would you get a sentence like that. <laughs> yeah, um, basically, it fits in well because I've, like I said, I've got to the um, end of revising um, my novel, the second uh, revision, so that needs to sit for a while. Um, and I've got to the stage in my um, fledgling <laughs> career, shall we say, where um, I think it's time to see if I can actually. Um, you know, produce some words um, on a more meaty scale, let's say, um, get a little bit more prolific. So you, you did, you did 26,000 words. Did you, was it a month or it was a month you said, didn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah, it was about a month. And that was NaNoWriMo, 15 in a month, 50,000. Yeah. So I'm going to aim for 60,000. Um, That's an opening chapter, isn't it? In fantasy. Well, yeah, <laughs> so, it can be. Um, quite literally, in, in some fantasy books, you get chapters that long. Not very not very popular ones. Um, but yeah, so I'm aiming for 60,000. Um, I'll aim to, to write 3,000 a day, so that should give me a little bit of leeway um, for days that I miss and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but I'll have a really solid outline, um, which, so it's just a kind of mathematics issue really um split the outline into um chunks um work out how many words per scene you know quick description of, of the scene and then um, fill out the scene each day to the, the number of words how difficult can it be he says as somebody that's still working on the same book after two and a half years <laughs> but um yeah that's my plan to to get the second one of those out um hopefully get that done get that Beated over um, Christmas, edited up sort of over January, February, get that out there, um, hopefully for March. And so what's your game plan, your sort of total game plan as a writer? Where where are you heading in, in sort of three, five years time? What are we looking at? Um, well, I should have um, the Minecraft uh, main trilogy all wrapped up by then hopefully um and you know probably um three companion books um but i'm not a fast writer so <laughs> any kind of um predictions you know may just fall flat but i feel that i have to set my targets and um you know that that will be the the, the way that I actually get get the writing done is, is by having the targets. Um, and it does get done. It just takes so, so long. And um, I've learned so much over the last two and a half years um, that I feel like I'm in a better place now um, where I actually can write a bit. Um, I feel a lot more confident with having had the novella out. Um, that's got good reviews. And people say, oh, that's good. I want to hear you know, more stuff. And that's not, you know, not just my family. It's like <laughs> random, <laughs> random people on the internet, which still astounds me that people want to read stuff that I've written. But um, yeah, that's that's really spurred me on. So 
I'm feeling quite positive about it. That was fantasy author Sean Stevens, and you can check out Sean's books under his author name of S.P. Stevens. Next week, I'm chatting to Tim Lewis for the second time on the podcast. Now, Tim recently turned to writing non-fiction after publishing several science fiction and fantasy stories. As the presenter of the Begin Self-Publishing podcast, he's learned a lot of tips about promotion, which he'll be sharing with us in this interview. I'll be back with another edition of Paul's Podcast Diary on Saturday. So until then, bye-bye for now. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.